You're listening to a message from Southview Church, located right outside of Nashville and Spring Hill, Tennessee. Now here's our featured sermon of the week. I'm going to invite my buddy Isaac up here. Isaac, come on up here. He's going to read scripture today for us. If you have your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 9. Why don't we stand for the reading of the word? You ready for this? All right. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. Thank you, my buddy. Good job. You guys can be seated. That is our text today, Isaiah. And the, what I want to ask you to question is, is who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Who is he to you? Think about that for a moment. I, I've been saved for a long time, and I'm still learning new facets of Jesus. Like I'm still learning about things that I thought I knew until I experienced it. How many can say that, that you're learning about Jesus still in your older ages? Come on now. Some of the, oh, yes, even, even our sage group. Come on now. You're still learning. The hunts are still learning. And I think that's the beautiful thing about Jesus. Isaiah. Isaiah had a prophetic vision, and he spoke it. Here's the interesting thing about it was 700 years before Jesus' birth, he never got to see his vision fulfilled on this earth. Think about that for a moment. It's, you know, sometimes when we have a word for someone today, we can give it to them and, hey, does that bear witness? Man, that, that word is right on. You know, we kind of feel, okay, whew, okay, I did good. I won't get stoned this time. You know, but back in the day, back in the prophets, they, they, they had words that had yet to be fulfilled in their lifetime. And if you look at the life of Isaiah and all these other prophets, they had some crazy lifestyles. But it's interesting that we get to see the fulfillment of the word here. We get to see this. Scripture says, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Let's unpack that for a moment, because this speaks to three natures of who he is, his humanity, his deity, and his sovereignty. For unto us a child is born, the humanity I don't know about you, but if I had superpowers and I had to give them up to come down and save a bunch of people that didn't want to be with me or know me or even like me, it'd be a really tough situation. But that's what God did when he sent his son. He literally gave up his power. He was still God, but he came into a flesh suit, came into a baby. Like, can you imagine the most helpless thing, a little baby? And here's the interesting thing about it. Jesus was showing his humanity. You know, in scripture, I remember growing up, we used to have the little nativity. Many of you probably do. You have the little nativity and you got the, you got the, uh, the, the shepherds there and you got the three wise men because they're always only three. You know what I mean? Shepherds like kind of hit or miss. One gets broken. Their head gets broken. Now you only have two shepherds, one shepherd. You ever get those guys? You know what I'm saying? You got a shepherd with a missing arm, but you got to keep using it because it's passed down from generations, this nativity. It's, uh, you know, grandmoms. Anyway, you got this whole scene. And we know now as we look back on it that some of the stuff wasn't actually correct. Like the, the, the Magi did not show up at the same time that the shepherds did. We also know that he wasn't born in like a shed. Because I always thought like, like man, dudes like, like next to like sheep and 
goats and like horses and everything. But what we know is it says that there were no room for him in the inn. And as we begin to translate that, we begin to see that the word inn could very well meant guest room. Now, I want to paint this picture to you because many of us, we know this, that Joseph had to go to Bethlehem. Why? Because there was a census. And so him and his family, not just Mary and Joseph, but his dad, his mom, his aunts, his uncles, his brothers, sisters, they all went to Bethlehem. And so there would have been a home where they would have gathered together. And what scripture is saying, and I'll present this to you, is that there was no room in the guest room, but there was room in the main living area. Why is that so important? Now you say, well, Pastor Mark, you know, like in my nativity, there's, there's like horses and, and, and cows. And like, what do we do with that now? Well, what they would bring it, as it got colder, they would bring the animals into the house. Now, some of you are thinking, like, there's no way I'd have a house but, uh, with, with a horse and a cow, but you'd have five cats in your house. So what's the difference, right? Some of you might as well get a horse and bring them in. Just have it all there. But the point is, is they would bring the animals in to get them out of the cold, but also to create warmth in the home. Why am I saying this? My buddy, Pastor Ian at the bridge posted it this week, and I I thought it was very interesting. He quoted this guy, R.T. France, who says, the problem with the stable is that it distanced Jesus from the rest of us. It even puts his birth in a unique setting, in some ways as remote from life as if he had been born in Caesar's palace. The message of the incarnation of Jesus is one of us. He came to be what we are, and it fits well with that theology that his birth took place in a normal, crowded, welcoming home, just like many other Jewish boys of his time. Why is it so important? Because you need to understand Jesus came just like you and I. He wasn't born in, in, a, in a dingy manger or dingy like stable outside. He wasn't born in a castle like Caesar, but he was born in a home with his family, just like you and I was. He came to be one of us. Say one of us. In humanity, then his deity. You know, he was already God and he continued to be God. We know that he was fully man, fully God to create the perfect atonement and sacrifice for our sins. He had to be both. And here's the interesting thing about it is he was God fully empowered as a baby. Again, it's hard to fathom when we really understand the story that Jesus with all his power and all his glory and all his might humbled himself to be in a baby suit. He was a son. That's why it says a son is given because you need to understand there's a deep connection between him and God. God didn't send an angel. He didn't send a representative. He sent his son, and that's a big deal. Because if you have any kids, if you have kids, you know, sending my children on behalf of me, that's like sending myself. And Jesus was God's son. Then the sovereignty. He would shoulder the weight of government. It says the government shall be upon his shoulders. He comes to reign, not just to die. He has all the power and authority to lead and govern, even in his baby state. He is fully God. He has the power and authority. And here's what's so interesting. We see in scripture, as we trace the timeline back, that the Magi, the kings came and brought him gifts. Now, they could have come anywhere between 40 days or two years after Jesus was born. Why is that significant? I think it's significant for this, because as as Joseph and Mary began to take care of Jesus, 40 days, a year, a year and a half, two years later, they were witnessing these kings from foreign lands coming and bringing gifts to their son, 
to remind them he's not just a regular boy. This guy has a destiny on its life. That kings from other lands are coming and presenting gifts to him because they recognize that there's something special about your son. I think it's timely that it came after the fact. How many know it's hard enough to raise kids, let alone raise a child where an angel told you it's the son of God? And you think, many of us, we think like, oh, of course, you know, Mary, she got no flack after the baby was born. How many know it probably just began? People were still looking at her like, yeah, yeah, we know. It's the son of God. Yeah, okay, you know. But here's the deal. God kept reminding her, your son's different. Your son's different. The humanity, the deity, the sovereignty. Isaiah saw him as a king. Isaiah had no idea what he was getting ready to do when he prophesied this because he didn't realize that the things that he was saying would probably look different than what he would have imagined. He was in captivity. And he witnessed Babylon, this beautiful, majestic, in some ways, demonic kingdom that took the Israelites captive. And so as he's speaking this, he's saying he's going to be a wonderful counselor. Now, let me, let me say in other translations, it says extraordinary strategist. I like them both. Wonderful counselor, extraordinary strategist. How many know that everyone has counsel for you? There is so many ways you can get counsel from someone. In fact, we are over-counseled out. There are people with thoughts and ideas of what you should do, what you should wear, what you should think, how you should parent, how you should work, and we have been oversaturated with counseling. I, I remember growing up, I used to watch a, a cartoon. Many of you remember this picture probably, and this is a famous counselor. Some of you remember Lucy. Anybody remember Lucy? Charlie Brown, remember that? I mean, this woman, she had a counseling. She only charged 50 cents. But, she, well, she analyzed and counseled. That's the thing. But here's the deal. She was horrible at it because outside of her, uh, of her occupation as a psychiatrist, she would also hold the football, and every stinking time Charlie Brown would go to try to kick the thing, she'd pull the, pull the football away, and she'd fall on his back. Anybody remember that? Some of you are like, what archaic show did you watch many, many thousand years ago? I look at this, and I think about how many people have ideas of what we should do. There are... Uh, a nickel a dozen. But, but here's the deal. It's interesting because it doesn't just say counselor. It says wonderful. Like he's not wrong. He's a strategist, but he's extraordinary. The things that he does, the way that he speaks, the counsel that he gives you, it's always perfect. It's always on time. Isaiah would have referred to this as the king's ability to devise military strategies Jesus knows how to get you out of the predicaments you put yourself in. He's a wonderful counselor. How many need a wonderful counselor or a extraordinary strategist right now in your life? Come on. He also says he's a mighty God. If I translate that to what maybe Isaiah would have been saying is he's the king as God. He is the king's representative on the battlefield whom God empowers in a supernatural way. He's a mighty God. See, Isaiah knew the stories of the Babylonian gods. They were, they were, they were mighty and crazy, and, and, and myths came out of them. And they would build this mythology out of these mighty gods that did miraculous things on the battlefield. But what Isaiah saw was a mighty God, a greater God that showed up, that not only gave power to himself, but empowered other people. 
See, there's a difference when you put the E and the M in front of the power. It goes from not only being what I have, but now what I give. God is a mighty God who empowers his people to do extraordinary things. When the king's enemies oppose him in battle, it's as if they're fighting God himself. When the enemy comes against you, it's as if they're fighting God himself. He steps in as a mighty God in every circumstance. He not only counsels you, but he comes as a God of war to defeat the enemies. Who needs a mighty God in their life right now? Who can use a mighty God over your life today? Well, he's also a prince of peace. How many know we need peace today? But we need a prince of peace. He's a representative. See, people in the kingdom, they experience safety and prosperity because their undefeated king destroys their enemies. Oh man, some of you don't understand that. You have a king who brings peace. Now, many times we think of peace as if he's making peace with the enemies. This is a different kingdom. There are no peace treaties with the enemy in this, in this battle. There is no, okay, I'll give you this and you take this. No, God annihilates the kingdom of darkness. He gives no peace treaty to the enemy. What he does is he gives peace to his people because he defeats the enemy. You don't have to worry about the enemy. Why? Because he's under your feet because the Prince of Peace has defeated him. Come on, he just, I think I'm just speaking to a couple of people in the front. He defeated him. Listen, he defeated hell. He defeated sin. He defeated the grave. He defeated your circumstances that are coming against you. This is not just a beautiful little baby in a manger. This is the Prince of Peace. And incidentally, as he rode into Jerusalem 33 years later, he rode a donkey. The donkey symbolized peace. A king would ride a donkey when he was riding in his peace. But how many know, and hopefully in the near future, Jesus is going to ride a horse. And that horse symbolizes war. And I'm telling you, I long for the day when the Prince of Peace sets up his throne on this earth and he rules and reigns. And we get to say, that's my God. That's my king. Come on. Who needs a Prince of Peace in their life today? Oh, wait, but there's more. I feel like I'm selling you something. But wait, there's more. He's also, what else? He's an everlasting father. I love this because he is a father. He has father qualities. Now, some of you say, well, yeah, but my father was, was not good. He was absent. He wasn't there. He was abusive. Good news. He is a great father. That's why it says he's everlasting. That means his kingdom. See, when, when Isaiah said father, he was looking at him like a king. A king had a fatherly duty to his subjects. He not only ruled over them, but he would provide for them. And he would make decisions. What was best for the kingdom? What was best for my, 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 my subjects? He is an everlasting father. That means his rule never ends. It never ends. It's a long-standing dynasty. And he's the father that never leaves you. He never mishandles you. He's not abusive. He's not looking down on you, hating you. He loves you. He cares for you. He provides for you. Who needs an everlasting father in your life? I love this. It says, of the increase of his government of peace, there will be no end. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. In one translation, it says, his dominion will be fast and he will bring immeasurable prosperity. His dominion will be vast and he will bring immeasurable prosperity. I want you to know that in his kingdom, there are no wars. 
There are no famine. There is no poverty. There's no division. There's no racism. There's no disease. There's no depression. And there's full of hope. I'm telling you, there will one day, well, this king will rule and reign and he will bring everything that we long for. It will be on earth as it is in heaven. And that king will rule and reign. But guess what? He's ruling and reigning in you today. So although he may not have a physical kingdom on this earth, he has a spiritual kingdom inside of you and me. And I want you to understand that because what I just said, no famine, no poverty, no depression, it can be in you. It can be your lifestyle. It can be who you are. God gives that. He gives it to you. He is that to you. His kingdom rules and reigns in you. He gives you the power over sin, over addiction, over disease. On the throne of David and his kingdom. I love that. You know why? Because that speaks of he is who they said he was. A couple weeks ago, I shared with you how he fulfilled prophecy. He fulfilled the priestly roles and he fulfilled Passover. This is just a few. Some people say it was upwards between seven or 500 prophecies. Some say around 300. No matter where you're at, guess what? There's not one person that could fulfill that many words with that much accuracy unless he was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's the only way. And he is from the throne of David. He fulfilled every detail, every detail to a T. If he can do that with his son, what can he do with the promises on your life. Listen, I'm telling you, this is a real God. This is a real baby who came to break over every demonic oppression over his people. It says he came to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Truth and justice matters to Jesus. I know there's some people in here, you, you're, you're justice. When things aren't right, it gets you aggravated. You go to bed upset, carrying the burden of the world when you see injustice going on. That's me. I, I, I want, I'm like, Lord, if we can't do anything, what do we do? But here's what I love about it. It says he establishes and upholds justice and righteousness from this time when Isaiah spoke it forevermore. That means that although you may feel like you're living in an unjust time, you may feel like there is no truth around you. Know this, the truth of God is in you and the justice of God is in you and you can walk in these attributes because the King of Kings lives in you and he will uphold it through his royal subjects. And so what I'm saying to you, your job isn't just to exist, it's to bring truth. It's to bring righteousness. It's to uphold it. It's to speak life. Oh, Pastor Mark, I don't know, I don't want to offend people. No, the truth sets them free. And for so long, we've been sitting back complaining about the world, complaining about the circumstances, complaining about our nation when we are the people on assignment to shift the circumstances and atmospheres. That's what you're called to do. The King of Kings, he resides in you. And here's what I want you to understand. Lies, listen to me. The lies are exposed about you and about his kingdom when the King of Kings lives inside of you. That's why for some of you, you started thinking differently when you came to know Jesus. You started realizing, I'm not what my mom said I was. I'm not what my teacher said I'm was. I'm not what my friends said I was. I am a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. He's transformed you. You're a new creation. That baby in a manger came to be a 33-year-old man who died on a cross so that we don't have to be under the power of death and your diseases, your addictions, those things that come after you, you're no longer under their jurisdiction. 
You need to understand this because the last thing he says is the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Why is that so key? I want you to understand the word zeal. What it really means is his intense devotion and love for his people compels him to vindicate and fulfill his promises to them. He is so zealous for you that he is working behind the scenes without you even knowing to make it benefit on your behalf. He is working things for your good. That's the intense devotion. He's like, listen, I will vindicate what the enemy has stolen from you. I will vindicate what those things those people have said or done to you when you were younger. I will fulfill the promises that I've spoken over you. Well, Pastor Mark, I don't know. I've never had any promises. I don't know what God says about me. Look, it's right here. There's a lot of pages in here, and they're written not only for the people in the Old Testament, but also for the people today. Man, Pastor Mark, you're intense. You know why? Because I think many of us, we've forgotten what it really means to be in this season. I've been compelled, I, and listen, I, I'm a pastor, I've been doing this. I love Jesus, this is my job, but I've been compelled by Jesus to bring it back to the simplicity of Jesus. For so many times we come to church because we want a good word to make me feel better about my circumstances. I want my best life now, even though we're living in sin. Even we don't honor him Monday through Saturday, but Sunday, you know, hey, I'm here. I'm giving you something, I'm here, I showed up. I'm telling you, it's about Jesus. For many of you in this room, yeah, you got stuff you got to do tonight and tomorrow. And, and let me just say this. It wouldn't be a birthday if it wasn't a celebration. So I say celebrate the birth of Jesus. But let's remember, it's not about what you bought for someone. It's not about what you cook for your family. It's about Jesus. And if we can make the main thing the main thing, we will recalibrate our hearts back to him. Your 2024 will be better than your 2023. And that's not some kind of idle promise, but that's a guarantee. Because when Jesus is at the center of your life, not just in your decorations at Christmas time, but if he's at the center of your life, everything changes. If Isaiah was here, whoo, to see his promise fulfilled, Always think about the people in the Old Testament, how they longed for what we have today. They longed that God would speak to them, not through a prophet, but actually through his Holy Spirit. They longed for the freedom that we would have to gather like this across the globe and proclaim Jesus. They had to hide out in upper rooms, in caves, to talk about Jesus. But here's the deal. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this because Jesus is everything to his followers. He's not just the baby in the manger. He's the king on the cross. And so today, I just feel like if anything, maybe I can recalibrate you just a little bit. You get in to start eating your turkeys and your sugar cookies and all those things that we're going to have to give up in 21 days. Thanks, Ashley, for that word. I feel like it's only important for us today to just spend a moment and say, God, I want to make it all about you. I want to make it about you because you are the reason why we're here today. You're the reason why we gather. And so with every eye closed right now, I just say, maybe there's a part of you that needs to repent for just getting off course. 
Jesus is so good. He's not angry at you. He's not mad at you. He's not shaking his finger at his followers and saying, you got it all wrong. Get that Santa Claus out of there. It's not, he, he, he is just so in love with his people that he's saying, when will my people come back to me? And so today, as we're in his presence, I want to say this to you. Maybe this is something you need to do on your own with the Lord today, but just say, Lord, I just repent for putting everything ahead of you. It's you above everything else. Lord, it's you above my presence I have to go by. It's you above the food I got to cook. It's you above my family. It's you above my home. It's you above the circumstances, my job. My job doesn't bring me fulfillment. It's you, Jesus. So today, we repent. We repent for adding things to the gospel, for forgetting you when we should have been proclaiming you louder than any other thing. Lord, we repent as a nation that we've gotten off course, but we're thankful that you still love us. And we're thankful that that promise that you gave to Solomon is still good today. And if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways and repent, I will hear from heaven. I'll heal their land. He will do something in you and do something through you. Today, God, we say we put you first. Wonder say today, who is this man? Well, he is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He's the everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. He is the baby in the manger. He is the slain, slain lamb. He is the God on the cross. He is the risen son. He is all those things and everything that we need and more. He is exactly what we need, when we need it and how we need it. And so today, what a glorious day to celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus. We thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this message. Southview Church is a non-denominational, multi-generational, multicultural community of believers passionately pursuing Jesus, family, freedom, and unity in the body of Christ. If you would like to connect with us, visit us at southview.cc and follow us on Facebook and Instagram.